G'day tree lovers, it is AOS Coach and we are doing the long overdue Sylvaneth preview that uh, unfortunately I had COVID so it kind of kicked my ass between this Skaven and General's handbook but we're here and I am here with a top ranking but really nice person as well. I've actually really enjoyed chatting with Zach before we went on stream. Um, it is Zach McComb. Mm-hmm. who has been doing absolutely awesome with Sylvaneth in the past. What are you, ranked ITC number one, number As two right on, on TSN? Yeah. Like, you're, you're absolutely gunning it, so you're not jumping on the bandwagon. And Zach is going to help guide me through this new Battle Tome. That is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I played Sylvan. So here's a little story to kick us off, and then I'll get you intro and, and we'll get into the discussion. I picked up Sylvaneth with the last Battle Tome. Got really excited. I bought the whole army. I was building a Heartwood faction, 15 Kurnoth Hunters, had the new little um, Archrev. Yep. Really excited. 12 hours later, they announced Cities of Sigmar Battle Tome. And Cities of Sigmar, I played the Empire back in third edition, which is essentially Cities of Sigmar. And I'm like, right. So I played some games, but like my heart was never in it. And as soon as that book dropped, um, unfortunately, Sylvaneth got retired. But it's it's an army that I've played against since first edition. I love it. It's so unique. And it's such a niche army that there's a lot of technical experience that I'm really looking forward to. And I know, Zach, you've also been playing with this new book as well. So you'll have some practical in-game experience to add to this in addition to what you've liked in the battle tome mm-hmm. but before we get into that zach if people don't know who you are who are you where are you from and tell me about the trees so i'm zach i play in upstate new york i try to go to a lot of these big tournaments or rtts gts i really want to see how far i can take sylvaneth in the competitive scene i started going competitively last year but i've been playing gw since like 2015 starting off with 40k then got into slanesh in 1.0 when 1.0 started and they got out of the pdfs after playing slanesh in 1.0 not really liking it my wife said i could start a new army and she really liked the look of Alarial. And I said, oh, yeah, I could totally use Alarial in every single game. And she was like, yeah, you can start your army if I get to paint, pick the scheme. So, so my Sylvaneth are pink and white. Maybe you guys have seen me in upstate New York. I mean, in Northeast tournaments, I was at uh, ACO this year as well. I've been trying, I'm going to be trying to go to another five, seven GTs this year before the season runs out is the goal. So maybe you'll see me around. Definitely Come say to hi. LVO. Come to LVO. Say hello to me in person. Oh, I'm, I already got the ticket for LVO. I'll be there. Boom. See you there. Bring your <laughs> Sylvaneth. I want to see Alario. Alariel is a model that I, whether I play Sylvaneth or not, it's a model that I aspire to buy. And like, it just looks like such a gorgeous piece and such a fun model to play um, and paint as well. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, and, and who knows, maybe that'll get me back into Sylvaneth because I had, so good so good if you listen to the podcast come on to the youtube channel come have a look at least at zach's um alarial just ignore the spear it it snapped off just ignore that she's holding a stick a glorified stick and at least she's magnetized so that's nice yeah you were smart you're smart i think transporting that stuff can be tough Mm -hmm. um and what one thing i think is really cool zach is um 
I remember when I was building up my Sylvaneth and mm-hmm. I had this idea and I'm like, how do I want to paint these? And I'm like, I want them as summer. I want them, sorry, I want them as like autumn, summer, right? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to tap into the old wood elf lore of like Orion and how Orion and Kurnoth would influence the Kurnoth hunters. And, you know, being in summer, that's very aggressive type of build that I thought that would work really well with my Kurnoth hunters. And now there's a whole bunch of rules that help me with um with that as well. There's the seasons of war. So we'll crack on and actually get a look into this book and kind of get your thoughts. But I'm I, I'm actually really I'm genuinely excited. I'm not like some kind of promoter trying to tell you to buy Silverdeath. I actually really like this. It's a really cool book. What are your yeah. thoughts on the new book? I think it has definitely been an improvement from the 2.0 book. Going from 1.0 to 2.0 was a downgrade. At least 3.0, they made them better, which is hopeful. And we'll definitely be getting into the details of why I at least think they're a little bit better. And hello, Marcella. Thank you for beating me yesterday. Yeah, Zach had played three games, and the last game was against Little Marathi. So, um, yeah, I was in the first place round one and two, and she put me down to fourth. So. <laughs> So tell me about the the transition, right? So like, forget the first book. The first book was busted, and people would oh, take yeah. like three command points to go. Like they'd run. Like it was bizarre. Like what what the old one does. I, I'll never forget my mate Liam used to love running thirty dryads, and mm-hmm. back in the day, as long as you had one dryad next to a wildwood, the whole unit would get uh, minus one to hit, yes. and there was just some stupid ass rules. But tell me about between book two to book three. What have you noticed? What do you like? What's missing? Like, what's your general high-level overview of transitioning from the, the mid-book, the, the second book, 2019 mm-hmm. book, to 2022? What I noticed is the walk the hidden paths. You was six inches, is now at nine inches. They added strike and fade as an ability that I think is definitely should be played into as much as possible every single round. It is absolutely great. Places of power changed definitely for the better. Uh, one massive change is you can no longer start Sylvaneth off the board and have them come in by trees, which is unfortunate, but I would definitely willingly lose that for what we gained in the 3.0 book. Did the play style change at all? Like if you used to be a shooty army or a, a combat army, is it still the same type of army or has, cause like we saw Nurgle, Nurgle fundamentally changed from like a really super fast army to one that is way more durable and warty and healy up. Has Sylvaneth changed at all in that kind of manner? I would say they have. In 2.0, what the best thing they could do was save stacking. I could have Kurnoth hunters at like a plus five, plus six to save, which is just ridiculous. They changed that, and now it's more guerrilla tactics. Ever think about of you being like a jungle fighter and striking and fading? But it basically sells itself as an ability. It's worded perfectly. We'll bring up the rules very soon. Like I, we're doing the quick intro, but I'll bring up the rules and we'll yes. talk. If you haven't, if you haven't picked up the tome yet, or if you're someone who's Sylvaneth curious and you haven't actually looked into it, we'll actually go through the rules soon. But you're right. Like I think. When I think of what Sylvaneth used to do back in the day, I never really felt Sylvaneth was like they just felt like a bunch of gardeners. Like in Australia, we had a show called Bert's Backyard and you used to just like plant trees. And like you'd put some wizards in trees and you mm-hmm. could you could do things to me and I couldn't do things to you. And you'd drop a bunch of uh, Kurnoth hunters and be annoying and you'd you put your roots in the ground and yep. D- Durthu would hit me or whiff um, yep. the end. 
and like and then you got the war song bomb with the uh, you know the war song kind of became really powerful and like it's this like strike and fade away nothing says silverneth more than that rule oh yeah cool um if i hadn't picked up to a silverneth what's their strengths tell me about what, what are they good at their strengths, I would say, is their movement. You can teleport a slow unit, and you can use your fast movement units like Alario, like your Lancers, like your Seekers, to hit and ideally strike in such ways that you mitigate them hitting you back as much as possible. You take advantage of your turn and then set up again um, to totally mitigate your opponent's turn. So they angrily trudge forward, you move forward, hit, fall back, they move forward, you hit, fall back into anywhere else on the board. So it is definitely going to be a fairly frustrating army to play against for your opponent if played absolutely correctly. Ideally, you should suffer minimal casualties throughout the game. You're very much a scalpel army. You're not Iron Jaws. You're not running forward. You're not going to bash your opponent in turn one. You're very much finding weak points, striking, mm -hmm. using the the woods to manipulate and bounce around the table. And yes. using you're very much a movement type of, and it's not just moving forward. I mean, yes, you've got some fast models, but yes. you've got things like Gossamid Archers that can retreat. You know, after they've you know they've unleashed hell. You've got strike and fade away to allow you to strike in the combat phase and then move away. You've got so much movement shenanigans that you can really pull your opponent opponent um, really away um, if you play it effectively. But if you don't play it effectively, you'll get punished. Oh, so, yeah. No, you'll get totally erased if something is allowed to get into you and punch you. What, what, tell me about, Zach, the, the weaknesses. Like, if I'm building up a Sylvaneth Force, what, what am I not good at? Like, are you, is it magic? Are you, are you good at, like, what, what are you not good at? Hmm. You can definitely build into being good at magic. You can even be built into being half decent at shooting. You're not going to be as good as KO at shooting and have your entire list wrap around it. Um, I think what you're really going to, probably struggle at is locking an area down even with Kurnoth hunters and holding like the mid board you're not going to be having a block of 30 dryads clog off the center of the field they will die hmm. cool is there any units that you you think have really gotten a glow up since the old book to the new book for glow ups i would say Hmm. What would really have gotten better? Uh, Kurnoth Hunters, I do think, have improved. They're no longer limited by their deploying roots and their one-inch pylon. They're now a three-up save base, which is definitely respectable, which I do think is something that can be used well. Um, their scythes are now rend three, which is almost laughably good when you add more rend to them through other means the army has access to. Having seen your opponent react to something that's rend five seems enjoyable. Almost feel like I'm playing beasts. I might not use all that defense on that attack. Yeah. Uh, uh, is there anything uh, that. And also, the tree lords have definitely improved now that 14 wounds instead of two and bracketing way better. Instead of like bracketing off of like taking only three wounds, you now need to deal six. They've also definitely improved, as with Alarial as well. 
Larry Lowell's gotten better. And I would say Dirthu even as well, just with the monster table chart. So in the past, um, folks, if you're not familiar with the War Scrolls, there would be five different levels, I guess, depending on how much damage things like Dirthu, the Tree Lord Ancient, um, had taken. And, you know, you could bracket, as long as you put on about five or six wounds on Dirthu, I remember, like always, whenever I see a Dirthu, my goal is to put six wounds onto Dirthu as quick as possible. And Mm -hmm. the power level just went from this to this like i could almost oh, yeah. ignore dirt i could almost ignore dirt who once had taken six wounds now that table one doesn't bracket as aggressively but two mm-hmm. the power level doesn't drop as much so you will get more consistency from the likes of dirt and i'm a big fan of dirt i've always has always have been but it's either he's amazing or he's craptacular like this oh, is yeah. always his swing i definitely agree it's that high quality attacks that are even more high quality, I'd argue, than even like Iron Jaws. Like he does flat six at full bracket, but it's only five, six attacks. And when you miss them, you feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like, is it the tail, the impaling tail? Because it was just like a, it was, it used to be a one attack, I think. Like, now yeah. Be, two. The mass, massive impaling talent. I'd always play it up whenever I'd swing at my opponent with it. It was one attack. It was like twos and twos at top bracket. Rend two, one damage. But if you got a six to hit, it was D6 mortal wounds. Yeah. Yeah. There's some good rule changes, and we'll go through and kind of I don't know, we're gonna show Zach two or two of Zach's lists as well. But I think I'm really conscious of not telling you what's good and what's not good. Mostly because we are in a season of six months, right? So this general's yes. handbook is going to be six months. And we were talking a little bit off stream as well that, you know, the bonds of battle, which um, doesn't really work in your favor with things like you turn off hunters because they're five wounds no. and they're not galette veterans. What happens in six months time when we're in a new general's handbook? Does Kurnoth Hunters get a glow up? Do Dryads become really good? If we become into a magic meta, all of a sudden does you know what I mean? Like, so we'll go through, yeah. we're going to go through and give our experiences, but I'm, I'm really mindful of not calling anything trash yep. because this meta could shift so quickly, especially with a new general general handbook on the horizon. But what I do want to do before I get into the rules is I want your rapid fire thoughts on, there's a bunch of new book, uh, new, new war scrolls since the last book. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want your thoughts, give me your thoughts, your high level, you know, do you like it? What don't you like? What do you like about them? Would you take them? Lady of Vines, brand Lady new model, came Lady in with Vines. the... Lady of Vines was good in 2.0 when Throne of Vines used to be plus two to cast as long as you don't move. But now you're basically taking her for her five-up ward and it goes off on a seven and it's not incredibly consistent that I would rely on it because if you fail that role, she doesn't really bring in enough to justify her point cost besides look cool. It is kind of... Me seeing her stomp on a, a, a plague bear, but besides that, I would lean against her. Lean against running her as of now. But she feel. But she. I'm going to qu- just challenge you for a second yeah. because you did lose a war scroll. You lost the branch wraith. Wraith. You kept the witch. Kept, yep. No, you lost the witch. Oh no, the wraith branch wraith. You lost the wraith. You kept yep. the witch. Mm-hmm. The Lady of Vines does have the summon, right? The the casting value of seven can bring... Oh, or, oh no, no, no. no, no it, it goes, her, her summon ability is now, at the end of the movement phase, you roll a die once per battle. 
On a two up, you get dryads near and trees anywhere on the battlefield. On a one, you don't get anything. So if you roll a one, then you just don't get the dryads for the rest of the game. And it's a once per battle thing. Yeah. Uh, un- unlike the 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 last the branch yes. wraith, they right. used to summon it every turn with a spell. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the other ones, quick question from Chaos Discordia: How would you start collecting Sylveth as a new player? Do you have some? Uh, do they have some evergreens that could be useful in future seasons? Evergreens. I mean, you're basically asking like future proof your army and. Like we said, the seasons in the future could be literally anything. It could be magic. It could be no shooting. It could be anything of that nature. I would do, I would recommend with a start collecting, definitely. And you're going to need two, if not three, brought boxes of the Wildwoods, which is the definitely the scare off factor when it comes to starting Sylvaneth and looking at, I have to buy a 2K army. And now I need to buy these like three boxes of terrain pieces, but it's something that the army does need. Alarial always looks nice and it's rewarding to see her fully built to give you some encouragement. Kernoth hunters, I would get those and magnetize them. They might be the closest things Sylvaneth could have to future proofing. You have three variants in one chassis. Uh, Tree Revenants, if there's anything that I'd say has a possibility of always being good, I would say Tree Revenants with their ability to teleport and be annoying. That was my first one. Tree Revs have always been good since day one. They've always Mm -hmm. been good. Dryads, even a small unit of Dryads have always been good. Whether you want to spam Dryads, maybe you don't want to go down that route. But having some Dryads up your sleeve will always be evergreen. So... Uh, and obviously the, the heroes are going to rotate. Durthu's usually in lists, or at least, um, you know, you, you can find a place for Durthu. Durthu is what Durthu, what Durthu does, right? Whether you bring on Tree Lord Ancient or Tree Lord, Durthu does the, the Durthu thing. Um, and Alariel's wonderful, you know, but she is a lot of points like those God-tier heroes. So, you know, if you're bringing yeah. in Alariel, you know what you're taking. It's God-tier it may not be super competitive at times, but you're bringing on an awesome model, and it no, it does things. So you're bringing in a thousand point army into a two K event, and your reward is Alariel and a little bit more. Yeah, and there's a little Marathi's pulled out as well. You know, she loves Alariel. Um, the ability to come back—that's definitely one that she, uh, I, I want to talk to you about Alariel in a mm-hmm. minute. But you know, calling out some great abilities—the fact that she has a chance to come back after she dies, she can heal. She's got the free summon. You know, yes, you're taking on this like 800 point god tier model, yes. but you're getting a lot of value from um, from Alariel. So, but a couple of other rapid fire ones I want to get to before Alariel mm-hmm. is the Gossamid Archers. When Gossamid Archers first came out, people freaked out because yes. of the mortal wounds, the speed, mm-hmm. the unleash hell. And I'm not seeing many lists in this current book that people are taking Gossamids. It seems like you it's like a unit you've completely forgotten about. They are laughably good against armies that do not have um ranged or magic, but if when you're going to a competitive meta, you are going to see armies that have the ranged units, these that have the magic capabilities. They're 220 points for five guys, and if you go against that, they're just gone. But their ability to shoot and then get back when they're charged is definitely something that is really good. Another thing that I do like about them is their uh, coherency rules of two inches, 
when there's more so you can line up 10 across the middle of the field, put them out, and it's almost like a better version of the old coherency. Hmm. I just Another, find they're expensive. I just find yeah. they're expensive what you're getting. Like they just, they're fragile. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to take them, you've got to be really tactical with them because yes, you, they, you are need fra they are frail. You need, if they get stuck in combat, they will die fast and it will not feel good. What about our two new bug riders? So you've got your, your revenant seekers and your spite revs, not your spite revs, your spite revenants. Spite Rider Lancers, I love the Lancers. I think uh, for this season, they're one of our best units. For the Seekers, I think that they're totally viable as well. Um, their ability to return a model to a unit on a two-up is something that should not be glanced over. So I think that they are a safe bet for this season. With their speed that they bring to the table, not relying on having to go through the trees is something that should not be overstated. By the way, this is a good question. I want to pull this up because yeah. I haven't seen this build just yet, but Nick Wright calling out that they are seriously loving a Dryad Horde. They can accept a lot of buffs. They're mm -hmm. minus one to hit. They can be minus one to wound natively. you got the yes. Spite Swarm combination. Um, was it Rend 1, Ward, Mystic Shield? So for their points, they are an absolute anvil in Nick's opinion. What are your thoughts on the Dryad block? I think you are definitely spending all of this energy on putting in an anvil, and I think it can be a very successful anvil. You just then need hammers to pound things that land on that anvil. So you would need to support it with maybe a larial. I would say lancers would also help. You're just putting a lot of, of your eggs in this anvil basket, and I'm curious to see how well it would survive against something, especially in this bounty hunter meta that we're in they are definitely has the potential to take a lot of damage like comically yep. large amount of damage which is what christopher's saying down here below but to to you know to the point like obviously with minus one to hit minus one to wound there's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of like if you save stack and do a whole bunch of things it'll make it harder to get those damage through but even whatever it might be in six months time when we go into the new, new general's yep. handbook um bounty hunters may not be here oh yeah definitely. Um, so they could definitely have a potential in just less than six months and we could be you, seeing the dryad anvil list so 60 dryads there are some things that i've got on my shelf right now where it's like it's not right now i mm -hmm. feel like the season right now with bounty hunters and some of the benefits i'm like look I'm not, not going to play you just yet, but I'm just going to hold you off for a little bit, see how the meta shifts, but then also see what the new General's Handbook drops. So I think it's worthwhile, Nick. Um, I think a Dryad block could be good. You're putting a lot of resources in, but you got to start thinking about how you then maximize. Yeah, you've got an Anvil, but there are more objectives on this particular um, General's Handbook as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, in some of those where you've got maybe six or even eight objectives, um, how are you going to be claiming and retaining those other ones? So... Keep that in mind. I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but just really think about what you do with the rest of the points to make the, make the most of it. Any final thoughts from you? Um, the new units, I do not think so. I think I've said my piece on them, which I do. Yep. Cool. Final one. Let's go back to what little Marathi was talking about with Alariel. What do you think about Alariel? Is the goddess worth taking? Do you like her? Why do you like her? Is she too expensive? Is it the time to pull back on these god tier and go back to more like 10 wound type heroes? 
where are you at? If you take her, she is your starting point for your list and you understand what you're getting into when you're taking her. She is 16 wounds on a three up, but she can die. And yeah, she can come back, but then she can die again. And you can fail the roll for having her to come back. It is a once per battle roll. And on turn five, I mean, on turn four, it's a two up. And it gets worse the sooner you do it. And turn five, yeah, it's a guarantee, but I don't know if she's really going to have enough impact coming in with eight wounds and not being able to heal. I like her, and I do have lists with her in it. But you just have to understand that you need to make sure that she is getting her worth out. She is 840 points. Even her like antler attacks, which is four attacks, threes, twos, ren two, flat five at full health, and you can all attack, so it's twos and twos. I've rolled four ones, and it just feels bad. I've rolled ones on to hit for her uh, lance attack, which I mean her spear attack of ranged of twenty four twos twos. Rend to flat six. And anytime you take those hits on what seem like really good rolls, it definitely diminishes her value. But at the same time, I've had games where she has just totally cleaned house. So you just have to know what you're getting into when you're bringing her to the table. And her metamorphosis spell is also great. A 16-inch range of goes off in a seven, and you roll dice equal to the casting value, and every three up is a mortal wound. I've cleared off just a block of brutes casually that were in my way. I think when you pick Alario, you're you're picking the utility value for Alario yes. because she does things right. If you if you need a combat monster, you don't have to go into Alario for a combat monster. You can get combat from other areas, mm -hmm. but those combat monsters don't have the spell casting utility. Mar uh, Marathi Alario has tr three spell casts and three unbinds. Yes. She has the ability to heal two d six, so you yes. don't need to take Emerald Life Swarm. No. She can bring on once per battle a unit of Dryads, Tree Revs, Spite Revs, Kurnoth Hunters, Br mm -hmm. Branch Witch, or a Tree Lord. Yes. So the utility value of you go to a tournament and you're like, look, I, I I need more bodies here. I need more screens. I need more damage. I need some range. Yes. You've got the utility value. You have the some... entire spell lore, so, which also does help with I need to do X, Y, and Z, and she has access to a spell that can help. Spite Swarm definitely helps her if you want to send her in as like a bug missile. Now she's suddenly 19 inch move with plus three inch charge. And I can definitely underline infuriating when it comes to the abilities that some Sylvaneth have access to now. It definitely feels bad when it happens. And as Rifle is saying down below, Alariel with Spite, Spite Swarm for the charge, then in the teleport with the charge fight fade away can be incredibly tough. So again, you know, she's not just, she's not a, she's not Gordrak. She's going to run up the board. She's not Kragnos. She's just not running up the board trying to smash things. You've got to be smart with your hero, but she is a great piece still. If you're someone who wants to run it, I just know at the moment, in the current general's handbook it could potentially be challenging depending on how battle plans things work but mm -hmm. she can be a great bounty hunter hunter which is something that i think is worth considering is that there's a lot of bounty hunters going out clearing up your your, your gvs yep but who's hunting the hunter <laughs> all right Alario could be the could be that all right i'm gonna get into the rules i want to get your thoughts on the rules the allegiances because i think you're gonna have a lot of great wisdom here um 
I'm gonna I'm not gonna read out word for word everything. Um, yep. but I, I do want to hear your thoughts around what do you like? Do you build lists around this? How how do you take advantage of certain rules? Because Sylvaneth does have a lot of great rules to access. Um, so you've got your groves. We'll go through the groves on the next slide. The next slide, I've actually got the groves, but you've got seven different options for your groves. So you pick your, your Sylvaneth Allegiance. Then from there, you can pick one of the sub-factions. And each of those sub-factions gives you additional bonuses and kind of incentivize you to build lists in a certain way. Um, do you have any favorites, Zach? We won't go into that. We won't go into it just yet, but do you have a favorite just yet? Favorite Grove? Yeah. Mm, I'm really liking Naru and Heartwood are those two okay. that I'm drawing right now. Which is interesting because I'm seeing a lot of Harvest Boon right now, but we'll go into the rules soon just to like wet the, wet the whistle. Um, but you are seeing a lot of Harvest Boon as well. Um, a cup. So the rules. You got places of power. So after territories are determined, before faction terrain is set up, you can pick three terrain features on the battlefield, wholly, uh, wholly outside enemy territory. Those terrain features are considered overgrown terrain features. At the start of the hero phase, your hero phase, yep. you can heal one wound allocated to each friendly Sylvaneth unit that's wholly within nine inches of those overgrown terrain features, or a friendly awakened wildwood. Do you like it? Do you build around it? How do you use it? I love it. Uh, you almost build around it by default with how Sylvaneth works. Um, and what you need to take account for is you almost think about them as a miniature awakened wildwood. They, you are, you can almost use them as like a strike points where you're going to strike and fade from which one we'll talk about when we get from the woodland depths um so before territory before faction terrain goes down you pick three terrain pieces that will be overgrown overgrown does not block line of sight as of right now overgrown used to block line of sight in like the old 2.0 stuff not anymore as far as we know um the tricky thing is sometimes when you go up against an opponent who then gets the role to set up the terrain, they will purposely put up terrain in such a way that it makes it very difficult to pick places of power because they need to be wholly outside your enemy's territory. And if you're going against an cheeky opponent, they can just like nib it into their territory and like, oh, you can't pick that one. Um, the ability to heal one wound at the start of my hero phase is beneficial. It's not going to win every single game. But if I'm going against something like Nurgle, it's definitely satisfying to clean all of that disease off in one swoop and give them back to my opponent and be like, all right, you got to do that all again. Yeah, it's, it's a great little rule. It's not going to break, you're not going to, it's not going to change the game, but it can certainly make a difference to your point. It's going to help obviously stack as well for heroic recovery. So you could heal one wound plus mm -hmm. to a heroic recovery. If you had a Lariel, you could still do the heal as well. If you take Emerald Life Swarm, again, you could do a whole bunch more healing. So you've got access to more healing. It definitely doesn't obviously help you with your one wound models, unless to your point, a really good point, is that Nurgles are quite popular at the moment. So even just healing off the disease token on those one wound models, you're never going to bring back a one wound dryad, tree rev, whatever it might be. But certainly you could remove that disease token. So that's a really good call out. Really good call out. 
Yes, because there's uh, I've heard the rumblings in the Nurgle community. They might start taking um, their grand strat where they have to have a disease point on everything, and that just counters that. It's that that is a really good grand strategy, and if you can then deny them by just healing up and taking off those, and then retreating and kind of hiding mm -hmm. off one of those um, those troops because they don't have a lot of long range threat. Nice way to counter your Nurgle opponents. But this is not the Nurgle show. Let's keep talking <laughs> Sylvaneth. You. You've got two other rules when it comes to from the woodland depths. There are more rules, but this is the ones just on the screen. The first one is walk the hidden path. So once per turn at the end of the movement phase, pick one friendly Sylvaneth unit that is wholly within nine inches of an overgrown terrain feature or wildwood. Basically, to teleport, you remove it from the battlefield, set it up again more than nine inches from enemies, wholly within nine inches of a different overgrown terrain so basically it jumps from one wildwood or overgrown feature to another overgrown mm -hmm. feature and obviously you can go from overgrown to wildwood it doesn't have yeah. to be wildwood to wildwood overgrown to overgrown like you just jump wherever do you like it how do you use it what's your considerations i like it because in 2.0 it will used to be instead of doing a normal move now it's at the end of the movement phase so what you're able to do is move units into range of the woods that were out of range and then teleport them. Or um, I've seen plays of giving the hive to Illyrio, she moves 19, put three inches or spook away a unit, have that unit redeploy away, and then have her go somewhere else and attack somewhere after teleporting. So kind of forcing your opponent's hand into a situation they thought that they're getting in the upper hand off of a redeploy, but then you just move somewhere else and hit somewhere else. Yeah, it's a great little ability. Um, it doesn't talk, does it talk about you having, oh, you've got to be outside of three inches. So you can't teleport into mm -hmm. combat. Um, if I am in combat and I'm within range of the Wildwood, can I disappear out? As far as the wording is saying, yes. It's at the end of the movement phase. It's not instead of a normal move. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. interesting. At the end of the movement phase. Yeah, interesting. Could be a way to get out of combat too. I'll have to maybe look at that or at least it might be an FAQ. And by the way, that might be a good call out here. We are recording pre-FAQ. So there yes. could be any FAQ to anything that Zach and I say. So just keep that in mind. Um, I'm being told in the chat, yes. So it looks like I can teleport out of combat, which is a great little ability. Yes. Because it's not. A, it doesn't say instead of moving, it's just in the movement phase, mm -hmm. which is which is sweet. You've got the other one that I really want to talk about because this yes. is this is my type of rule, strike and fade. So once per turn in the combat phase, immediately after a Sylvaneth unit has, um, that's wholly within nine inches of an overgrown or mm -hmm. a wildwood has fought, you can remove that unit from the battlefield and set it up more than nine inches from all enemy units and wholly within nine inches of a different, again, wildwood, overgrown yep. um as long as it's outside of three inches from um from all enemies when you when you pop it back out i love this but i yes. want to hear your thoughts i absolutely love it as well it's really feels good to get into a combat deal damage and then being able to leave and set up for next turn without any form of punishment whatsoever of your opponent swinging back um, I know it definitely doesn't feel the same way for your opponent because they just got hit in melee and there's literally nothing they can do about it except try to stay away from the trees. And I thought, because I'm a Gloomspite Gits player and we have an artifact like, no, it's a command trait like this. It's called uh, Fight Another Day where my Mangler Squig can fight and then it immediately moves like six inches away. 
or I think, I think something like that. But you, on the other hand, can literally just disappear. You fight, and then you you disappear. Mm-hmm. Who who is a good recipient of strike and fade away? Is it a unit? Is it a hero? Is it a monster? Like, how do you think about strike and fade from a list construction point of view? So I like to strike and fade something that is going to move fast the next time it's my turn. So something like Lariel or the new Bug Riders. You move them up, you hit, and then you fade away in such a way that your opponent is not going to be able to reach them because you're moving 14, 16, 12. But you know that they are going to have to move somewhere and you're going to be able to intercept them again. And then set it up again. It's like setting up... a like a pins in a bowling alley every single turn, knowing where your opponent is going to want to be, put your fast unit where you're going to be able to intercept and then leave. Things like Drycha, the Lancers, as you've said, Kurnoth mm-hmm. Hunters especially can be quite good. Um, I've mentioned Spirit of Durthu as well. I think Durthu I'm seeing a lot of people using with Strike and Fade, so it doesn't kind of bracket um, after it's struck. I guess it's those type of combat type monsters. Or even if there's a unit, like a unit of dryads that you don't want to die because it's a part of your grand strategy, you can then literally disappear them away, yes. heal them up, fight another day. Anything else you'd add, Zach, to, to Strike and Fade? Um, I would definitely add in what Marcella is saying. It's not effective against things that fight on death, like literally uh, an entire sub-faction of Daughters of Cain. They still get the slap back, unfortunately. So that's something to well, keep an eye on. My thoughts and prayers are with you in these troubled times of uh, not completely fighting. And then, like, <laughs> yes, there are some things that can get around it on fight on death. But the, this for ninety nine percent of the games you're going to play, um, you're going to be able to 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 strike to then get out of combat and and potentially then threaten other parts of the board or yes. set yourself up for a double turn or where you move might actually influence um, might even influence your opponent giving mm-hmm. away the turn, whatever it might be. Or you might even cap an objective if you've got a large base as well. So um, think, think about some of the manipulation you can do on top of just the fighting part. Cool. I feel like I've got everything out of you at this particular point. Um, you got a couple of other things. You got the Verdant Blessing. Verdant Blessing seems to be very similar to to the last edition. It's like every wizard um, that is Sylvaneth. So it's not just a clarification here. I saw this in the last book. I spoke to Games Workshop about this, and I've re- I want to re-clarify this. If I ally in a Sylvaneth wizard into a different faction, let's say it's Living City, it doesn't take Verdant Blessing with me because it's a part of the Allegiance. So just keep that one in mind. It doesn't come with, with it's, it is it is within Sylvaneth Allegiance. Yes. Verdant Blessing has a casting of six, range of 18, and you get to summon a, uh, an Awakened Wildwood um, that's wholly within range and visible to the caster and more than three inches from enemy um, endless, so models, endless spells, invocation, terrain features, and objectives. So, I mean, you don't have to pick it, right? So just good spell to have. And I think yep. to your point, you said, you know, you probably should have at least two to three sets of Wildwoods, one for your instant deployment and then mm-hmm. a couple up your sleeve. Yep. And this is a spell you should probably be casting almost every turn and setting it up somewhere. It could still pop up. I've... I've willy-nillied a forest out somewhere on the battlefield, and then by turn five, it became crucial and would get me my grand strat. And it's like, oh, okay, that good thing I did that. 
And it's definitely a spell that your opponent is going to be trying to counter. So if you need to get it off, make sure that you're doing your best to, to have it go. Um, the range had de has since decreased since 2.0. In a 2.0 book, it was 24. Now it's 18. And for Sylvaneth players, I think three-inch tools are a must because it needs to be three inches from the models, the terrain, the objectives. And it's almost like an art form putting the wild woods together because when you get a block box of blocks yeah a box of wild woods it's three crescents but the three crescents are in different shapes so when you have to figure out what is the biggest possible tree i could put in the space that i want it to be maybe it's only one little dinky one or maybe it's three of the largest size crescents and now suddenly a good chunk of the wood board is woods Was there anything? I was just re-looking really at the the war scroll for the wild woods. Did anything change? I feel like some things did. Did some things change? I know that with overgrown wilderness, um, the line of sight isn't blocked for keyword Sylvaneth units now, which is something that kind of seems a pendulum swing, right? You you blocked your own line of sight, then it didn't, then it did, then it didn't. We're now back to wild woods do not block Sylvaneth keyword line of sight. So. Um, Specifically, awakened wildwoods do not block Sylvaneth line of sight. Wildwoods still do. So if a board starts off with wildwoods, those block line of sight. Awakened wildwoods do not. And yes, uh, but yeah, be mindful. Yes, absolutely. You know, the, your opponent can clog up the board. They can um, yes. do things. Yeah. Do you, want, do you want to explain this comment a little further for me, Zach? So if your opponent manages to get within three inches of an overgrown terrain, it is shut down. You cannot teleport back into it. Think about it as like a forward operating base getting overrun. You cannot, you can't use it. So if you're planning on striking and fading, make sure your opponent doesn't like sneakily use a redeploy to get within three inches of a woods or make sure you have a woods to fall back to. Thank you. And people are telling us we got to have a drink every time we say Wildwoods. <laughs> unfortunately, it's one of those things that, like Games Workshop, when they say in addition, like everything is, is, is in addition, um, your allegiance is so tied up into the Wildwoods. And you're going to hear a lot about them. So the importance of using them, having them up your sleeve, and thinking about your placement, it's just critical, right? Unfortunately, it's a relationship that's just tied up with Sylvia so much as well. So um, anyway, Vernon Blessing, you summoned Woods, great. Yep. Have a couple Have a couple up your sleeve. And yes, to your, to your point, having um, different sizes of them, because all three of them have different sizes, allows you to manipulate and... And um and find spaces around the board whether you need small whether you need big. Um, yeah, it's it's like an art here. form. I always tell my opponent as I'm like frantically trying to get the woods to work just right, be three inches away from everything. One of the new rules that I really want to talk to you about because this is brand new to this book, and that is the seasons of war. So shout out to Jordan for manipulating Games Workshop somehow or getting ahead of the meta. But you've got the seasons of war. So after you pick a Sylvaneth army, so when you go to a tournament, you can't you you have to pick this in advance of your tournament submission. Not you don't get to change this every every game. You get to pick one of the following, I guess, seasons. So this this really represents how you know Alariel has got summer, winter, autumn, spring. The Sylvaneth in general, it has nothing to do with Alariel. It's just Sylvaneth. So you've got the burgeoning, the reaping, the, the dwindling, and the everdusk. And all four of them have different rules. And all of four of them 
I'm going to bring something different to the table. Mm -hmm. I'll read them out quickly. And then Zach, I want you to wrap up and kind of tell me what you like, what you don't like, some consideration. So the burgeoning are friendly Sylvaneth units that did not charge in the same turn and are wholly within nine inches of an over overgrown terrain or wakened wildwood is going to get a six up ward. The reaping is going to add three to the range when you pick a friendly Sylvaneth unit within the places of power and the deep wood, uh, the deep land, uh, deep, uh, the woodland depths battle trait i just woke up folks give me give me credit uh the dwindling in the hero phase you can re-roll one casting roll one unbinding roll and one dispelling roll uh, as long as that wizard is a, a sylvaneth wizard that is wholly within nine inches of an overgrown terrain or awakened wildwood and then the ever dusk is subtract three from the range um that's within for your places of power or from the woodland depths so it's actually a subtraction there yep but in return, you get the unmodified hit rolls for attacks made by melee weapons for Sylvaneth units within six, wholly within six inches of an overgrown terrain or a friendly Waken Wildwood. If it's a six, it basically does exploding attacks. So you get yep. two hits instead of one. So a lot of a lot of flavor. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you like all four of them? Do you think some of them are better than others, at least in this particular season? Mm -hmm. Do these even influence the way you build your list? I think they definitely do play into how you build your lists. You're not taking the dwindling if you have one or zero casters. Um, my favorite seasons, I would definitely really much enjoy. I do like the dwindling. The option to re-roll is definitely very helpful. If you need a spell to go off, you can casually re-roll it. If you roll double ones, you can re-roll it. Uh, the reaping is definitely does not seem like a lot at first glance, but it definitely should not be slept on. Three inches doesn't seem like a lot, but it definitely puts in work when it goes from nine to twelve. It can make um, the strike and fading and the teleporting go from something that can possibly be played around to an inevitability. Twelve inches is absolutely massive in this smaller table size. Uh, the burgeoning, I want to like it but I don't really like having to rely on a six up board. And that also is if I do not charge. So it's almost like playing into, I am going to be attacked in my woods, or I'm going to be able to hold back the tide in my woods for multiple turns, which is going to be fairly tricky. Everdusk is also one that I really would like to enjoy. Um, subtracting three inches from the range of um, the woods hurts. Exploding sixes can be comically good if you roll a bunch of sixes. Um, I would just be careful of not running swords in Everdusk because it is definitely a non-bow when it comes to uh, Kurnoth swords being sixes to hit dealing two mortal wounds, and you can't get both. I want to pause you for a second. I've got an interesting comment here, and I know you played Little Marathi literally <laughs> um, tw 24 hours ago, who I can only assume played Daughters. Yes. Um, and I know you did lose as well. So this is probably a timely question coming out from the chat. And they're saying some matchups are straight unwinnable, like matches against Daughters of Cain, which is ridiculous right now. What's your thoughts there? Is that true? Are you just going to like basically rock up to the table, see Daughters of Cain and just concede immediately and go to the bar? Or do you think there's something in that? Or do you think maybe there's some ways to build around and handle Daughters? I feel like if you're going to build around beating Daughters, you're going to weaken yourself to anything else. So it is definitely something that is going to be very tricky to play against, and you need to hold back as much as possible. Their snakes are fast, being able to run and charge. 
Um, Marathi is fast with that mirror dance trick that she can do. You just have to play around it as literally as best you can. Striking and fading Marathi, shooting Marathi. Um, if she touches something in Sylvaneth, it is going to die and having to do your best to stay away from it. I was very close to beating Marcella. The game ended with Alarial alone in the center of the table with nothing else left. So it is possible, but it is going to be very tough. I'm not saying that, oh, but, yo, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Daughters is easy. Yeah, and look, oh, yeah, easy, even, Mar- even <laughs> she is admitting it. Daughters is overpowered right now. Like, Look, daughters are good. I play them. They, you know, they've got like three instant instant battle tactics you can basically score between the general's handbook and what's in your book. You know, there's some very easy ones, and your grand strategy is basically almost. You know, it takes it takes you a lot of hard. It's quite hard to not score your grand strategy. But put daughters aside. Think about how you can beat them. Think about what makes it work. Uh, think about how you need to tailor. And I'm sure with more time and more practice, you will get better. I wouldn't say there's no unwinnable games. But certainly this this Age of Sigma has always been built around Scissor Paper Rock. It's always been about there'll be some strong factions, but then some daughters will get butt-punched by some other kind of army. Cool. Anything else you'd add here from the Seasons of War? No, I think I've said everything I'd like to say about them. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, look, as the meta shifts, things might change a little bit. But I think to your point, um, the dwindling and the Everdust probably stand out for me the most, especially when you start thinking about the Everdust in combination with some of your offensive builds plus the Strike and Fade. Some very good things there. Um, The dwindling can come off really quite well, especially with some of your nice casters and some good spells Mm -hmm. you want to get off. Um, And potentially as well, even with um, the... The endless, the endless um, spell meta we're currently in. You see that purple sun coming at you. It is a hard unbind because the casting value of eight. You've got a second, you've got a second bite at the apple to be able to uh, re-roll one of your just spell rolls. So that alone, uh, and I am seeing, you know, a lot of Twitter, Discord chat around the purple sun. It's given people nightmares. So getting yourself a second bite at the apple, and if you can find any way to get a plus one or a plus two to your to your dispel with a re-roll, that purple sun will get neutralized. Zach obviously agrees. Or he- yes, I love the purple sun. <laughs> all right, so what about the sub-factions? Without going through all of them, I'm not going to read them all out. Read your battle tome or go to Warpedia when it's updated or whatever. But there are seven allegiances, although someone told me in the chat earlier it's really only technically six because no one oh, takes yes. Iron I told Bark. you, don't read Iron Bark. It has a lot of words. It adds up to nothing. Don't even bother. It does not exist. Sylvaneth has six sub-factions, and it is a disgrace. We need another one. I mean, if you want to combine yourself with some Duarden, like, you do you. I mean, I, there used to be some good... Oh, they, they don't even get that Cap- anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be some good synergy with you and KO, like, back in the day, but now, um, nope. now that's no longer there. But, look, of the seven sub-factions... Do you like them all except Ironbark? Um, do any of them like do you start with this sub faction at the top of your list building, or do you build your army and then go right? What what suits me better? It could go either way. It could be I really want to run these units together. What's the sub faction that adds to it the most? Or I think I can build around this sub faction. What units can go best into it? 
Um, for well, the ones that I really like, Gnarl Root is surprisingly good. It's once per turn you can triple cast, so that can go into either an unbinding or stopping an important enemy spell, or going into a very important spell that you're trying to cast, like the Purple Sun. So 3d6, re being able to re-roll that if you're taking the re-roll season is pretty good. Um, so you have 3d6 Harvest and re-roll. That's... Yeah. Or, or you could have just two powerful casts. I know the um, the Warsong Bomb using like Umble Spell Portal and just getting those mortal wounds. That's a quite a popular build with Null Root. Yes. Um, Harvest Boon is... I want to like it, as Sam with a lot of things that I want to like in this book, but it's trying to do what Nurgle does with their drones, and I don't think it's as good. Heartwood is amazing as well. Like, Naruto and Heartwood are the twos that I love the most. I mean, you're basically just giving yourself all-out attack on three units, and if you pick a tiny leader, you can then all-out attack and ignore Lookout Sir if you're doing like a shooting build with six bows. Dreadwood definitely suffers a lot from like a grinning blades issue where it would be five times as good if you could do it every single turn. And also you're relying on spite revenants that are not the most survivable things in the world because even at two wounds each with a five up save, if you're running a block of 15, it's over 300 points and it's probably going to be targeted and die very quickly. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Like, like when I looked at spite revs, and like it's it's always been tough. Um, and back in the day when you used to have was it outcast battalion where you'd take like three three battle line units of of spite revs, um, you'd fulfill that battle line requirement, and then you know you get your extra CP. But that that game is no longer. We're not playing in that game anymore. Like when I think about Dreadwood, it sounds good, but do I want to be building around Spite Revs? And yeah, they've got a lot of attacks. It's like three mm -hmm. attacks each. Sixes is a mortal wound. Um, so, you know, from a volume point of view, yeah, five can slap. But would I build my sub-allegiance around Spite An ability revs? that can use once per battle, too. Oh, it's only once per battle? Yeah, oh. that's what I mean when I say it has a case of Grinning Blades, where Grinning Blades used to be only the first battle round. But yeah, you were yeah. thinking that you it was five times as good, and you were still on the fence. I was, I, I, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was like, even if it was like once per, once per, you know, once per turn, I'm like, yeah, it's, I, I, I mean, I don't have to really think about how to maximize the spite revs. But yeah, I think when I look at these, like, I'm, I'm attracted to Null Root. I'm attracted to Heart <laughs> Heartwood. Mm -hmm. Harvest Boon is very popular. I've seen a lot of the Bug Flyers. Your, um, your, your new um, Revenant Seekers and the Spite Lancers. Like they seem very, very popular in Harvest Boon for the the free pre-game 12-inch move. So it allows you to be aggressive, turn one, strike up the board before your opponents applied their buffs. Then you can strike and fade back um, if you've got that overgrown terrain piece. Um, Winterleaf. Winterleaf's an interesting one. I think it's always been a bit more of a techie type piece. That's another one that I really want to like. It but it's your game plan is locking down your opponent. And I don't know how well Sylvaneth can be at really locking things down unless you're running blocks of six hunters and backing them up with seekers. I mean, it's something that can be done, but it's not really going into the Sylvaneth game plan of not wanting to get hit at all. 
Yeah, I think I think you don't have. I mean, you've got your Kurnoff hunters that have a good armor safe, but outside mm-hmm. of that, like if you, I know, yes, we talked a little bit about dryads who they can get some, you know, minuses to hit, minuses to wound, but they're still one wound idiots. Um, while in you know, what are they base of five? So you get them uh, on base four of up. No, no, the armor safe. What's their safe? Oh, the fives. Sorry, yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry, yeah, they they, they come in blocks of ten. Or blocks of you ten, them, fives for their armor. But if you buy them in their box, they're actually boxes of 16. We won't yes, go into that one. It's a tragedy. So we'll have a fantasy legacy that keeps on giving. <laughs> but but yeah, you're you don't have a lot of durable troops outside of I mean your 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 new bug troops are incredible when it comes to durability, being able to regenerate or heal up and things like that. But um, but your Kurnoth hunters are probably probably your winter leaf if you want to kind of do that. Mm-hmm. But even then, like, do you want to yeah, I don't know. Seems a bit weird. Do you like Oakenbrow? Oakenbrow would have been pretty good last season. Maybe it'll be good in the Caesar late, season later on. The main thing that I think is going to be good about Oakenbrow is the bracketing and making sure that your Spirit of Dirthus t- stay topped off. And the Tree Lord's abilities of negating pylons could be pretty good if people are running like hordes of 60 clan rats or zombies being able to tow in and only take minimal punishment back if you stop their pylons entirely. But besides that, I think the other um, sub-factions just take them out just a bit more. Got an interesting question I want to bring up from Sean Allen, just before we move on. Mm-hmm. Do you think an all-bug army, so we're talking about the, um, the Revenant Seekers and the Spite Lancers, do you think that an all bug army would be solid? Because we have seen in the past dragon builds, like it was just all the dragons from Stormcast. Yep. We we are seeing in Nurgle all the Pascoiled, all the Black King um, big flies. Do you think the same is true for Sylvaneth? Do you think a, a full army of bugs would work? So the bugs are four up armor, um, five wounds each. So it's 15 wounds and a four up. And if you're bringing in all bugs, you're going to have multiple bugs in combat. So you have to hope that when your opponent does swing back into you on the turn that you charge in, because not all the bugs are going to be able to bug out, you have to hope that they survive. You have to have the command points ready for a, a rally. I mean, uh, inspiring presence. Their leadership, I think, seven. So you have to be careful on that. Yeah, they're, bra- they're bravery seven. They can yeah. bring guys. You have to be able to bring guys back. They. They rally on a five, but if you have them locked in the combat, they're not rallying. You're, and of course, they're a good target for seekers. So you would have to bring seekers as well and make sure the seekers are not in combat because you don't want to lose your seekers. So is it possible? I could see it being very good at first thought, but then the more you realize how much damage things can do back to you, it diminishes its. Availability, like I said, it's doing what Nurgle drones do, but a little bit worse. Yeah, your, your drones have eight wounds. Um, mm-hmm. They're way more durable. I, c- can you do it? Absolutely. Would I take a full army of of um, lancers or seekers to a tournament? Probably not. If I if I want to win all of my games, I think I think the best world is a blended solution. You might have a unit of six and a unit of three, and then bodies and heroes. Um, that I, I probably wouldn't go full bug. 
that I think, you know, and, and, you know, to someone else's point as well, like, yeah, I think Oakenbrow to your point as well, um, just to bring it back home a little bit, probably would have been much better in the last, if this book was dropped in the last general's handbook where we're in the monster meta, this would slap. This would absolutely slap. Zach, anything else before we move on? Nope. I think I'm good with sub factions. Sweet. Battle line, my favorite conversation because your dryads and your tree revs are still battle line, regardless of how you build your army. You have the much more simpler version of this compared to Skaven that came out at the same time. Yes. So if you are Dreadwood, you get spite revs as battle line. If you are Harvest Boon, those lances and those seekers are battle line. And then if you're Heartwood, it's your great bows, your great swords, and your scythe versions of Kurnoff. So all three Kurnoff hunters become battle line. Do you like this? Do, do you do you pick your uh, sub faction based on your battle line options? Um, do you anything are, the, are worth considering as battle line? Um, you know, your Kurnoff hunters are not Galetian veterans, right? So. Nope. Um, you don't get bonus. Well, I mean, you're not going to get bonuses on the um, uh, on the objective. You're not going to get any bonuses from uh, expert conquerors or um, bonds of battle. So, when it comes to Sylvaneth for this season right now, our vet options are dryads, tree revenants, spite revenants. Um, when in doubt. Three units of tree revenants is totally acceptable when you understand that they are going to be fairly fragile. You want to teleport them around in ways that they are not going to be able to get charged. Or you have to accept that they are going to be used as screens to stop that mock crusher from coming into your face turn one and effectively ending the game. I just want to make an apology to the Oakenbrow people because uh, trees are also battle lines. Apologies, folks. Yes, tree lords are battle line in Oakenbrow. Apologies, that's an oversight. Uh, but yes, they are also. Um, so uh, tree lords that are singles, so you can't reinforce them, um, mm -hmm. are battle line in Oakenbrow. Apologies there. Which I definitely want to call out. You can, If you do do Oakenbrow, you can then throw tree lords into bounty hunters, which is a play that could be seen and be kind of interesting. Um, for the other battle line unlocks, I think they're totally good. I think if you're running a heartwood, I think six bows actually do have some play and can see some success with the free three plus ones to hit. They can take out key units that start on the battlefield and harvest boon. I would definitely hope that lancers and seekers would be battle line because that's what the play is. You're moving them up 12 and doing things. So you want as many as possible. Would you double reinforce a unit? Would you go to a unit of um, nine in a Harvest Boon army, or do you think it's a bit of a, a bit overkill? I think it is a, probably a bit overkill because it's just going to be a big target on that unit's back, and your opponent's going to just dump as much damage as possible into it. I'd be absolutely terrified of a Marathi getting into a unit of nine Spite Lancers because she could easily kill six of them. Yeah, it doesn't give you a lot of flexibility. You see this with Nurgle and Dragon builds where you rarely see them double reinforced. They would they would have the same amount of models, but you'd have versatility where you have like a, a block of four, four flies and then two and two. So you yes. still have eight in total, but you're just not putting them all into. And yes, you know, the incentive is there because you get um, your buffs go further. 
Mm-hmm. But it does kind of anchor that one point. You got a really strong yeah. piece, but then other like, areas you you're yeah your strong. buffs go further, but then your opponent's damage also goes further as well. Yeah, I, I think the chat the chat generally agrees with us. You know, double reinforcing yeah. your your lances is probably not the best approach, but um, you know, being able to tap into smaller units, having a bit more flexibility, um, I think is a good. Yeah, I don't think you would ever want to reinforce your Seekers, but I think 6 can be definitely a sweet spot for the Lancers because their Lances and their Bugs are 2-inch reach, so they can attack in two ranks. I think what you mentioned as well, with just to go back to Oakenbrow, because we haven't, um, I haven't got it on the screen, you've made a really good point, and um, you're seeing this in Fire Slayers at the moment, where Lofnir, which can make um, Sons on Magma Droth's battle line, so a hero can become battle line. You're seeing a lot more Lofnir armies taking the Sons on Magma Droth because then that allows them to take uh, Bounty Hunters and becomes really powerful because then all of their attacks in melee will do plus one damage against those mm-hmm. Galetian veteran units. So you can replicate the same... Um, the same kind of build obviously very different but um within you know the unit of two you have at least two for that battalion so um something that might be worth considering but at least from the games that i'm playing i don't know your experience zach but i'm not finding a lot of armies building around gvs they're not going in and trying to maximize their gvs in fact they're trying to avoid as many gvs so do you want to bounty hunter it I don't uh, I, I would don't. I would still bounty hunter it for now because I feel like what's gonna end up happening later on in the season are people gonna be caught lacking and when you go to a GT and they're gonna have half B bounty hunters or maybe even less, and then the rest are gonna be running 60 clan rats, 60 zombies that all count as three each. So I would keep that in your back pocket of the bounty hunters for now. Yeah. Yeah. But like if you're gonna run if you're gonna run Oakenbrow for the bounty hunters i i don't think that that's what i'm trying to say is i don't think yeah, it's yeah. enough for me to do it but no. if it's something you're already going to do absolutely go do it and there's a battalion i'll show in a minute that also um does reward you for that tree lordy type of build so mm-hmm. um that's in that's in addition to everything a couple of uh command traits and some spells as well what's your favorite command traits is there's three for all sylvaneth heroes three for sylvaneth wizards um i'm actually i'll I'll let you answer first. So for Sylvaneth Heroes only, Gnarled Warrior is pretty good, especially on like a Durthu. You're just having to make sure that you're always rolling a three up or else you're going to get punished. And Warsinger, I also think, has some promise. Being able to move faster is also good. Being able to get into your combat, hit your opponent, and leave. Because if you do not get far enough and you fail your charge, you're caught out in the open and you will probably die. And for Sylvaneth Wizards... I would ignore Nurtured by Magic. It doesn't bring enough to the table. Spellsinger is definitely like A or S tier right now. It is terrifyingly good. It is a better spell portal. And I am firmly in the camp that I am going to be sending a Purple Sun through my woods anytime that I get. No one is safe. And Radiant Spring is also one that's really good as well, being able to mitigate enemy damage if you're in a meta that people are using a lot of um like sentinels with their ability to re-roll being able to try and stop that or being able to stop your opponent's purple sun we're definitely seeing a lot of that that could also be a reason to take radiant spring 
I was going through Best Coast pairings just to prepare for this show to see how what people are doing and from the top performing lists just as the book has dropped. And what I'm seeing is, you're right, Nulled, Nulled Warrior, which ignores modifiers. So you basically become ethereal like Nighthaunt, yep. which means you can't get Mystic Shielded, nope. but it means that you things like Durthu, you know, can't be rendered both positively and negatively. Again, mm-hmm. being able to then do Strike and Fade Away, you know, knowing the fact that, oh, you know, not even Strike and Fade Away, like you, you, know, you could choose somebody else because, you know, it becomes like an ultimate tank. Um, hell you could then take the sub faction that allows you to get the six up ward and you'd be getting an un, you know unmodified you ba- you're basically night haunt but you know war singer as well becomes popular as well as as you said the spell singer i'm not seeing a lot of radiant springs in list just yet no. but spell singer getting uh, the endless spell meta um whether it is the spite swarm hive whether it is um purple sun swords um, it could be a great way to to basically turn your wild woods into an humble spell portal, or yes. um, uh, or even like the war song revenant. Yeah, the war song with the with the the little bomb. Yes, he can cast that through the woods anywhere on the table. So if your opponent's within nine of woods, they are in danger range. Cool. Um, yeah, I dig it. I dig it. What about the artifacts? Do you have any favorite artifacts? Um, I think I do. I do, but I'd love to hear what you you love. They're actually nearly all fairly decent. Gladius is good for the hope of getting more attacks on something like a Durthu, even though the Crown of Hell Bowers is mathematically better. If you want to run risky, I would run the Gladius. Seed of Rebirth is nice just to be able to come back when you die to your the opponent's purple sun just to die again to it i've seen that happen on twitter as well but seed of rebirth is has value don't sleep on acorn of ancients it ages it's literally a free tree and if you set up whatever has it right uh during deployment you get a free tree and then if you have spell singer you can then cast a tree through that tree which i think is kind of amusing the lamp if you're having a very priest-heavy meta, if we go to a priest-heavy season, I would say it is valuable. As of right now, I'm leaning away from it. And Vespal Spell Gem, just being able to get a spell off, guaranteed. I know a lot of people are using it to cast um, Throne of Vines because it goes off on a 9, so it seems like definitely the auto-include for the Vespal Gem. But don't sleep on the rest of the lore, something like Tree Song or... Even um, the anti-horde um, spell that does mortal wounds on fives for every model in the unit if you're running against something like 60 clan rats. Yes. Would you pick something like the Greenwood Gladius for Durthu? I do, just because I like to live risky, and I want him to have a lot of attacks. Even though I know it will never work out, I want to do it. If you're going to like a local one-day tournament, right? Um, not a two-day, like a one-dayer. I think the lamp is probably one that I'd have up my back sleeve. Even if I went Warlord to get the extra artifact, you know, Daughters of Cain as a faction crumble when they don't have um, the the heart, the, yes. the heart of fury. They 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 and and if you don't have a priest in your army, you're not going to get rid of that invocation. No, I make so, sure I make sure my opponent rolls every single round to try and get rid of it roll a six yeah you're going to be better for one round but then it's going to be gone and i do not need to deal with it i don't care that it goes at the end i want that gone 
But if you're going to a one day and you have a lot of daughters of Kane and you want to kind of prepare for that top table fight oh, and yeah. you're, you're willing to get a second artifact either through, you know, the two different types of battalions, I think the lamp is one that I'd keep up my sleeve. I wouldn't take it to a two day though. I think you're just, you're, you're wasting your artifact choice unless you, again, you're going to a high daughters of Kane meta, but there's just not a lot of priests in the game. No. You know, you're really relying on fire slayers. You're really relying on daughters. There's a couple of like priesty factions, but you know, for most other games, you're not getting any value from that artifact. Anything else? Nope. That's it for the them. Yep. And you've got the spell law. So you've got six spells. You've got Throne of Vines, Regrowth, Dwellers Below, uh, Deadly Harvest, Vernonous Harmony, and Tree Song. Um, what do you like? What are the what's the priority list for you when you're starting to go through? And obviously Alariel knows all of the spells. The Warsong Revenant used to know them all. Now yep. did it lo it lost that ability, right? Now it now it no longer knows all of the um the which is which hurts a little bit. Yep. So Throne of Vines used to be amazing, plus two to cast if you didn't move and it would stack. So that was was the bread and butter of the spell bomb off of the war song not anymore it, it's a spell that goes off in a nine and you gain one wound back at the end of every phase until your next hero phase which can be a lot of wounds back but the caveat is you not you don't die if you die you don't get it back and so it's and even then it's like a slow trickle of wounds throughout when you cast it off i would almost would rather take regrowth the next spell of just healing back a chunk of wounds in one go of d6 and it goes off on a five and it has a range of 18 so you can pick something else to get stuff back dwellers below yeah, i would take regrowth re, re, re as well as the low casting value of five yes. is a, a casting value of nine you've really got to re rely on the re-rolling and like that that's ridiculous like i struggle with mine razor getting off on an eight you know, Marathi mm -hmm. doesn't have the plus one to cast anymore. A casting value of nine, like, and, and like, it, does the ability, is it even worth it? Is it worth it? Like, no, I'd rather cast, I'd rather cast Verdant Blessing. I'd rather cast something else, um, in my opinion. Yeah, if you want to cast Throne of Vines, you better just take the gem as your artifact of choice to guarantee it going off, because nine is ridiculous. Dollars Below is the Horde Bustin' spell every five up does a mortal which is pretty good deadly harvest i think can be deceptively good with spell singer because now every single tree if an opponent's within three inches can take d3 besides that i would not take it because then it would imply that you're in combat maybe alarial can cast it if she's stuck in combat i've had alarial stuck in combat with three four units and cast deadly harvest to some success besides that i wouldn't take it as a spell of choice Pause, pause. Yeah. I just want to go back. Dwellers Below is a good spell to have up your sleeve if we go into this infantry horde meta that Games yes. Workshop told us we're going into. Yes. So if you, again, we go back to people talking about the horde, you know, Daughters of Cain. If we go into the Witch Elf meta, if you've got zombies, if you've got lots of Skaven annoying you, if you have a lot of bodies that are five up ward, potentially to like 60 zombies. Oh, yeah. Um, that, that'll start clearing up and then, you know, the rest of your troops will be able to 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 whittle them down so I, I just wanted to not not move too fast on dwellers because it is a good spell if you go into a infantry horde meta at the moment we're not quite there yet 
Oh yeah, I want to see sixty Grotz succumb to the dwellers below. I think it would be amusing. No, no. <laughs> I played Grotz last weekend. No, leave me alone. <laughs> I get to roll. Keep 60 going. Dice. Yes. Listen, Burns. thankful, thankful already did forty-four mortal <laughs> wounds to my twenty witch elves two weeks ago. I do not need you to burninate my Grotz. Uh, Verdinous Harmony is good if you're running hunters and being able to bring guys back. I mean, I don't think it is actually good bringing back D3 Dryads, Tree Revenants, or Spite Revenants. You're better off bringing back a five-wound model in one shot, like Hunters or Lancers or Seekers. But again, that is implying that you're taking damage and you're trying to mitigate that as much as possible and not lose anyone to begin with. And Tree Song, I think, is like S tier right now when it comes to the Sylvaneth spell. And a good reason to bring Alarial just so she has it in her back pocket of just picking a tree and increasing rend by one and suddenly feel like beasts of chaos. Who knew that everything becomes slightly better when you increase its rend by one? So who are good recipients for the increased rend of one? So Rifle the Below mentioned in Kurnoth, uh, Kurnoth with size becoming rend four. Um, who else? Who else are good recipients for this rend buff? Lancers are very good because they have a lot of attacks base, like seven attacks between their two profiles, and now they're rend three, rend two. Add Purple Sun into that, they're rend four, rend three, which is really amusing. Um, anything with just... Uh, a good chunk of attacks. Swords would be good. Uh, scythes are good if you're trying to take down something really big. Yeah. By the way, Rifle also call, calling out a really good comment. Dwellers below can be great for uh, forcing battle shock against hordes as well, especially if you've got multiple horde units. Oh, the yeah. only inspiring presence won one of those, so you can kind of chip away at two different ones, mm -hmm. and one of them is going to have se severe battle shock. Good call out. Uh, yeah, anything that you really want to take advantage of and really pack that punch, whether it's going to strike and fade away or you just want to mow through something, being able to increase the rend characteristic to something ridiculous. And, you know, the safe stacking is definitely reducing down. Um, you're not seeing as nearly as much of the safe stacking craziness, but um, it is still good to be able to guarantee and just clear out what you need to clear out regardless of what the armor save is. But there also becomes a point as well where do you even need rend five? Like are we at a point of ridiculousness that, yeah, you might stop your opponent using all that defense, but if I'm at rend four or rend three already, in, in some cases I'm already not going to use that CP. So like, there comes a point where you've got to think about, is it worth it? So that's why I like having it on Alario because it's not something that you're going to have to cast or feel bad for not casting if you're having it on another model. It's something that's in your back pocket, like Alario being that utility knife. If you need that extra point of rent, cast it. If not, cast something else. She has a whole um, One of your mates below, I think you, you played, um, uh, I can't pronounce that name. <laughs> Rumulin, Rumulin. Um, I think you played him at Iron Iron Suns, you know, Iron something GT recently. But um, I think with size, I think one of the things as well with size is that you don't get the bonds of battle. So you obviously you you know you can't reinforce and get all the good stuff. But the sides giving you the two inch reach yes. and then getting you the extra rend does cut through that bonds of battle stuff because your hunt your your Kurnoths are just not GV, so... And they can definitely do a good chunk of damage if you have something like um, an Arch Revenant near them, giving them plus one wound now and plus one to their attack characteristic. They can deal out a good chunk of damage. 
Yeah, it's cool, right? Because regrowth can really just, you know, be, be your Emerald Life Swap. You don't need to take the, the, the Endless spell for that. There are just so many great spell choices here. Uh, I guess it depends on what your build is. But I think, yeah, Throne of Vines, casting value of nine, I'd expect more from yes. the spell. A D3 heal. Um, a D3 would be tempting. Yeah, if it was D3, I would take it. Um, or at least be tempted if I build a certain, like, the re-roll or some type of boost to my cast. Cogs, for example. Even then, actually, I don't need cogs. Whatever. Uh, anything else from other spell lore? Oh, I think I said everything in length of them. Cool. We're finally going to go through your match play rules, and then we're going to go show off two of Zach's list, and he can kind of talk through a little bit about why he does what he does. Uh, you have three grand strats, you've got five battle tactics, and you have a battalion. I'll do the battalion first because I've got the page up in front of me. You get to take two Tree Lord Ancients and one Tree Lord. They're the mm -hmm. mandatory choices. Then you can also have an extra two Tree Lord Ancients and an extra two Tree Lords. So you can go all the tree lords. And if you do so, you get to put them into a once per battle, get a free CP. So I do think that it is interesting, but I don't think you'll see it at a competitive event as of right now with the current season. The one thing that is good is that with the new rulings of how um, tree lord ancients heed the spirit song, they do both get one itty bitty woods. It used to be that if you ran multiple um, Tree Lord Ancients, you would only get one no matter what. So now you get can get some more trees out of that, and you can have more operating bases, like I said, of being able to strike and fade from even more places on the battlefield. And extra CP is always nice. Um, Sylvaneth do not really generate CP as something like, like Lizards can. So more the better. I think for me, the big piece is exactly what the comment here says, is that Durthu, if Durthu was in this mix, I would be more tempted. But yes. because it specifically calls out Tree Lord Ancient and Tree Lords yep. and no reference to Durthu, I think for me that kind of um, confirms that I wouldn't run it personally. And in the current season as well, if I'm going to take Tree Lords and I can make them battle line in Oakenbrow, then why wouldn't I do that in bounty hunters as opposed to yep. this and i don't know i don't know the extra the once per game cp is enough like if i could do this as like a one drop if this was unified if yeah. it was unified it would be temp way more yeah if it was yeah. unified absolutely but like to, to get an extra cp once yeah not, i'm trying to, for I'm, me. Trying, I'm trying to bump it up to make it look good i'm trying my best <laughs> Look, and this is, we're talking very competitively, folks. If you want to run it because it's narrative, you do you. Have no. fun. I'm not here to stop you. But if I'm going to take this to a tournament, probably not. I think there are just better options personally. Um, what, what are the grand strats? Are these going to sway you from taking the ones from the current battle pack? Do you no. think any of them are? Okay, tell me more. So the first one, the you have to do four of the Sylvaneth battle tactics. One or two of them are very good, but having to do four is rough. Um, for vengeance, I agree. By the way, but by the way, I agree. I agree. Having to, having to force to pick four is too much. Mm -hmm. If it was three, yeah, but four is just way too many. Vengeance and spite. You have to kill the opponent's general with an outcast. Outcasts are either um. 
despite Revenants or Drycha. And it's one thing if it's a little dinky hero. It's another thing if it's Archeon. Or anything big and scary and will definitely pummel anything that tries to fight it. And you have to hope your opponent does something failingly incorrect to get into combat and kill them with spite revs. I was going to say, of, who, are you, who are your outcasts? That's your... That's the uh, spite revenants, and um, I also believe Drysha. I'll triple check. Where is she? It's all right. It's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll have a look, but yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. have a lot of... I, I, don't, I don't remember... Yeah, no, it's not as much as you would being, No, this keyword is not... Um, this keyword's not across the board, so it's very restrictive on where you get it from, so... Um, keep going, keep going. I'll have a yeah. look. Um, yeah, Drycha, Drycha is definitely outcast. So mm -hmm. if you can get killed by Drycha, opponents general get killed by Drycha and or your um, spite revs. Mm -hmm. Good job. You definitely deserve this. You should. It should be three command point, uh, three victory points. Even if it's not your grand strat, it's definitely an accomplishment. Um, for the roots of victory, um, you want to put down woods on the battlefield. And it's requiring that you put down one in each quarter, or you can put one in the middle if it's a, um, a point that allows that to happen. But then the big failure of this grand strat is the second half where you need to keep opponents away, six inches away from all the wildwoods on the table. And it is really easy for your opponent to just stumble into one by the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah, but I like I think the deep can have a similar one where you've got two you've got to have no enemies around your boat. But we're not talking about quadrants. We're talking about one or two boats. It can be yes. hard to defend one or two terrain pieces alone, right? I could have a little teleport unit that teleports, especially late game, into the backfield wherever a tree is, and as long as there's one model that's gonna be near it, mm -hmm. um That's it. You've lost your grand strategy. Yeah, it's a bit of a risky play. Go into battle tactics. Sure. So before we do that, before we do that, is yeah. there any current grand strategies that you prefer in the current battle pack? Like, um, ignore this one for a second. Is there ones that you like? The one that I really like the most is I believe it's take what's theirs. Is to have more units in their deployment because by turn five you can have your entire army in their deployment through going through the trees or moving fast if you have it built for that. Like Tree Revenants, just have a flat-out teleport. They can get there. Larry will move 16. Lancers move 14. You can send something through the trees, and you can have two, three, four units in your opponent's deployment zone, and that normally outmatches them, ideally if you're striking and fading and whittling down their numbers. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I've been playing around with demonstration of strength, and it's just too hard to keep my um, my battle line on the table, my Galatian veteran battle line on the table. It's just, especially with the damage one bounty hunters just cleaving me through. Just like, no, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> and I've been running 120 idiots. Like I've got 120 grots on the table, and I can't even do it. Oh, I'm gonna run like a whole bunch of MSU. But your battle tactics, right? So you got five battle tactics, and obviously you pick them pick them in addition to the ones in your in your um the battle pack you're playing. Are they ones without going through them all, right? So you've got um pick one enemy unit within six inches of a friendly awakened wildwood. You completed if this unit was destroyed. Uh 
one of them is you complete the battle tactic. I'm not, I'm not going to read them out. You can yeah. read them yourself. But are they ones that you find yourself going to more often than others? Because I recognize that they're um, situational, depends on the battle plan, depends on the army, depends on the time. Are they ones that you find yourself drawing from? Are they ones that you use early in the game as well? So Harness the Spirit Paths is laughably easy when it comes to Sylvaneth. So it's worded that it looks like you have to teleport and then charge. But what it is saying is you have to use one of the Sylvaneth teleport abilities on a unit that also charged in that turn. So you can move forward, charge, and then teleport out of combat, which is what you're supposed to be doing every turn anyways. And now you get a battle tactic for it. Eradicate Trespassers is one you want to keep in your back pocket, an enemy unit within six inches at the tournament I was at yesterday, I got um, four flies down to one with a couple wounds remaining, and he was within six of the trees. It was an easy battle tactic, slap him dead, and that's that. Um, and the other three, I would say, are fairly difficult. Even um, the final one, which is just killing a unit with a wizard, you're relying on some rolls to get that to go off. That can definitely have you sweating to make sure you get it off. You're not a fan of the other ones. I mean, obviously, you know, March of the Forest Lords, if you were um, the, that battalion we just showed off earlier. Oak yes, you, have to, you just have to hope your opponent has a monster and that whatever Tree Lord, Durthu, Tree Lord Ancient is near enough to engage them and kill them and hope that your opponent doesn't redeploy away or buff everything into keeping that one monster alive. It's something that can be done. It's just a bit more tricky than the rest. What about Unleash the Gyran's Wrath, where um, you pick a friendly Sylvaneth wizard on the battlefield, and um, if you complete it, if the successfully cast a spell by the wizard or an endless spell, and it destroys an enemy unit this turn? So if you have an opponent that has a unit with like one or two wounds left, you can hope for it. Um, I would go something off of like a war song, getting the bomb spell off, and then hopefully a um, like an arcane bolt or a lariel with her uh, spike with her metamorphosis. But you're again hoping that you get those rolls off, and if you fail those rolls, there goes your battle tactic. There's hopefully ones that are more easy to access at any given turn. It's not you don't have a lot of like flat six flat three damage type endless spells you endless spells um it spells up your sleeve so no. it is a bit of a gamble and like if you're late game and you've run out of battle tactics that you can easily score this might be one that you pull out and hope for the best but yeah it's a bit sketchy it's like desperation one for sure you want to have like arcane bolt up your sleeve you want to have like um maybe like burning head and just a whole bunch of just offensive spells to chip away at that that um that uh, that are, I mean, and yeah, like you know, purple sun is another example. Oh, but yeah. you are if, if gambling. You, if you do purple sun, I mean, that's another one. You deserve that. You make eye contact. You'd like stare down your opponent and say, "I got this with purple sun," and you roll a one and kill something. You Great. deserve one it. in six chance of scoring your battle tactic. <laughs> um, 
but you've you've shared with me two lists that I thought, you know, instead of going through every war scroll node to man and we'll be here for 10 years and I've got to go to work, it's Monday morning. I thought I'd share with you two of the lists that Zach has been playing around with. And I'd rather kind of hear your thinking around how you're putting the rules together and what's driving you to pick the the units that you've picked. So the first list you've given me is your heartwood in the Everdusk. Um, you've got Spirit of Dirthu as your general with Gnarled Warrior and the Greenwood Gladius. That's the extra D3 attacks yep. and the um, ignore rend positive and negative. You've got yourself your Archrev. You've got six Kurnoth Hunters with bows, six Kurnoth Hunters with scythes, 20 Dryads, five Tree Revs, and three of the Revenant Seekers coming in under a one drop using the Battle Regiment. So I'd love to know why you're doing this and why don't you go Bounty Hunters? Why didn't you use the Dryads and the Triads to go into Expert Conquerors? Like, what drove you to be one drop as well? So tell me about how this all works. There's 125 wounds, um, 1995, so you're probably not getting your Triumph, but who knows? So for this list, my theory was just have a one drop and try and play into kind of how I played in with 2.0 instead of using Trees as Strike and Fade points, using them as, like, hard points and putting six scythes in trees that you put down on an objective and have your opponent try and get them off. It's what I hope to do. And also, you know, like Gnarled Warrior, Greenwood Gladius, Durthu is, he is trying to get into combat and hopefully stay and survive. Arch Revenant sits back with the Great Bows because Arch Revenant gives them plus one to wound. Heartwood gives three units plus one to hit. The Great Bows will ideally be targeting things that are buffing your opponent like little dinky heroes or their key units and actually doing a good chunk of damage, which is actually kind of surprising off of them because they hit on four's base. I don't know why and they hit on four's base, but they do. And they've got a range, they've got a range of 30 as well. Yeah, so no, again, they're almost like an artillery piece. Yeah, like if you, again, going back to the Daughters of Cain example, because, you know, I know it's caused a bit of grief, but hey, Nurgle as well is another example. You want to pull down that Lord of Affliction with that mm -hmm. command trait that stops you from issuing or receiving commands, or you need to pull yep. down those bow snakes that, you know, or you want to chip away damage to Marathi before the game like it really kicks in. You can be chipping away and pulling things down and, you know, hitting on fours, getting a plus one, still hitting on fours after like Lookout Sir, you can still pull down those minor heroes. Um, see some good stuff in there. Yep. And the reason why it's 20 dryads and not two of 10 is, as Mullis said, it's to make it a one drop. Sylvaneth does not want to get doubled. If Sylvaneth gets doubled, they are in trouble. It is going to be a lot of damage coming into them. Your opponent gets two opportunities to move towards you and charge you. You do not want to be charged as Sylvaneth. You are going to be taking significant casualties. I do, more than likely. Um, yeah. And the Seekers to try and bring Scythes back because, like I said, I know that Scythes are going to die, so that's why you bring Seekers. And Seekers are also going to be the target for Strike and Fade. They move 12 base, they have Fly, they can get into combat, slap, and then leave to support the Scythes from behind and then Strike and Fade again. Even in, in this list that i'm trying to make hard points i'm still having a unit that is designated for striking and fading so with your seekers um and that's and that's a really good pickup as well is that you, your seekers don't have to just heal themselves they can heal 
well, they can regenerate anybody as long as they've got five or less wound characteristics. You can be healing up and bringing out, um, your, as you said, your Kurnoth Hunters. Question so from Joe. The main reason for the Seekers is the Harvesters. Is they, At the end of the movement phase on a two-up, they bring a guy back. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that, 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 that ability. That ability, they um, can target other things, and Kurnoth or Lancers are the best because they're five wounds each. Yeah, and I see a lot of people regenerating themselves, but I like the way that you're using them to buff another unit and keep them back. Um, question from Joe here is, what's the value of Battle Regiment in the new book um, do, before we really wanted to go first to get the woods out? Is this still the case? Not really anymore because of the new uh, places of power. You pick three places of power, and that's almost the equivalent of you having to go first to get your trees out. So now you're going, you have the one drop to make your opponent go first. So you do not get doubled. Okay. So you're doing it not because you want to be aggressive turn one. I imagine unless you are harvest boon and you want to go the bug, the bug mm -hmm. route, that's when you want to go one drop for, because you want to or be uh, uh, aggressive, yeah. but you're taking battle regiment to be defensive because you want your opponent to go first or at least in most cases you want them to go first and you want to avoid being double-turned. Why do you not want to be double-turned? Because you are going to get your face pummeled in if you're in a situation where you get double-turned. Your opponent is going to be getting into you now because they have that chance to move twice and get that much closer to you. Unless you're playing something like slow-moving that only has a four-inch move base and you're able to stay away but something that even has like a six inch move will be able to get into you and get all up into your trees, into your space and deal a lot of damage. It might be worth calling out here that that strike and fade is in your combat phase. So you yes. might go in and strike and fade, but then because uh, you've been double turned, your opponent can charge you yep. and you can't teleport out because it's, it's nope. a rule that you can't touch. So there's another reason why you might want to go battle reg. <clears throat> um, as someone's saying in the chat, you need to control the fights and mm -hmm. double turns against it can be out of control. And, and you're right. Like you, you want to be picking where you fight. Then there's a lot of times, even if I get, win the roll off, I'll give it to my opponent. I've had, I've set up the turn to mitigate their turn as much as possible. Take it, go do the worst you can. I make sure that you're not going to be able to do a lot. And then I get to go and I'm going to do more. Anything else about this list? Would you change anything as the meta kind of shifts or are you testing other ideas? Um, I'm testing maybe six, six swords. I think six swords is still totally viable. If you lose a sword out of six swords, you know, have five swords. If you're running three swords and you lose a sword, you're down to two swords. But if I would do that, I would change it to the season of maybe the six up ward if I'm wanting to hold down points. Have you found that you needed the swords? Because the big benefit of the swords is you get mortal wounds, right? Yes. Do you, have you found that you've needed that or have you lacked that in this particular list? I mean, it's just if you're running against something like a lot of ghosts, you want the swords. If you're running against anything else, you want the sides. If you're running against something that has very poor saves to begin with, you want the swords. But I have something like a lot of Stormcast in my local meta. Scythes are nice. I like hearing um, Stormcast players complain that their armor means nothing because it does. 
And it's funny because, you know, like, again, we talk about Purple Sun a lot. Everyone, a lot of people are talking about Purple Sun, Purple Sun, Purple Sun. Nighthorn is just laughing their backsides off right now. And I faced that recently when I was playing with my daughters because I run um, Witch Elves under Drakey Gineth. So, like, on the charge, my Witch Elves are, like, Ren minus two with the high Gladiatrix, right? So when I do that, like, I'm against Nighthaunt, and what saved me was the fact that I just had a sheer industrial amount of attacks. You know, my Witch Elves have three attacks each. I have 20 of them, a lot of attacks to pull down Nighthaunt. So, you know, I, I always try to build my list with a combination of high rend, having at least a, a source of high rend, a source of mortal wounds, and then a source of um, low, vo like, high volumes of attacks. So... I think I can see where you might want to flex with this, the the swords, depending on the meta. And I feel like that Nighthorn is very accessible, and at least it's an easy fix, right? You can go one or the other. Yes. Question: Lady of Vines for Durthu? Would you would you swap out Lady of Would you swap out Durthu for Lady of Vines? Durthu is kind of more of a hammer and holding things in place. Lady of Vines is more of a support piece. So Lady of Vines is not holding anything in place, and she is definitely not getting in combat. If she's in combat, she's in trouble. So mm. they kind of serve different roles. I mean, if you want to go more survivable and try to focus more and put more eggs in the basket or that is the sides, you can go with um, Lady of Vines and then give artifacts to the Arch Revenant, like making him a caster or increasing the movement of your units around him to set up more strike and fades off of the... Revenant Seekers. There's plays that could be done. Cool. Uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't swap this out to be a bounty hunter list and and pop your what your Kurnoths and your your or not, at least your your sword your great your great sorry your sides and your seekers into bounty hunter. You definitely can. I'm just the reason the one drop is it's definitely far more safer to having making sure that I dictate that my opponent goes first, but. You can see in the next list, I have a different thought as well. Cool. No, I'm just I'm I'm asking the questions that people might be thinking about. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, everyone's hearing a lot about expert you know, um, bounty hunters and expert conquerors, and you know, the incentive of getting the plus one damage against GBs. Mm -hmm. And if I'm taking six sides and and three seekers, and I've got access to the additional rend and all these things, then maybe I probably don't need the extra damage, but. Um, or maybe it's something that uh, it's a concern that you're not kind of worrying about. Yeah. But I will go to the second list, and that is your Nile Root list, which is Alariel with the Warsong Revenant. The Warsong is your general um, with the Spell Singer command trait. You've got the Acorn of Ages as the artifact. You've got the Deadly Harvest as the spell. You've got yourself five tree revs. You've got yourself five tree revs. You've got yourself five so five tree revs. You've got yourself the Spite Rider Lancers, and mm -hmm. then you've got Purple Sun. You've gone Battle Reg and Bounty Hunter. So this is a three drop. And yep. I think I think in most cases now three drop is the new one drop. Yes. But I've been talking, I've been coaching and talking to a lot of people and saying, well, now that three drop is the one drop, why not go one drop and beat the three drop? That's so all the people my, that are building around the previous first I was a one drop. I felt so many people going around Bounty Hunter and Battle Reg yep. that if you're really concerned about going first, you can just go straight Battle Reg and you will get to dictate. But please, pass it over to you. What's this list all about? How does it work? What's it doing differently that the other list didn't? So this list on the tabletop looks absolutely terrifying because it is so very small. I mean, there's like nearly, nearly nothing on it. Um, 
So this is fairly similar to the list that I was playing in 2.0. The main difference is I no longer have an additional caster. I added in Purple Sun. I used to run six bows. Now I'm running six lancers. Um, this is the list that I took to a tournament yesterday and went 2-1 and came in fourth. The only loss against um, Marcella, who's on the world's team. So, I mean... At least, at the very least, I can say that I managed to table her somehow. So that's at least a plus to this list and showing how much damage it can potentially do, even though it is only 83 wounds and mm. still is under 100, even with the wounds that Alarial can bring to the table with her pop in. Um, what what were the t speaking of Alarial? What were the types of units that you were bringing in with your once per game turn? Did you find yourself bringing in bodies, Kurnoth hunters? What was your? What were you finding you bringing out on the table? Three bows. Every time. Yeah, pretty much. It's either three bows or swords, but mostly three bows, because now um, it used to be the leader would have plus one to hit. Now he has plus one attack to his bows, so it's seven shots, nearly always getting all out attack for threes, threes, potentially rend two, flat two, thanks to purple sun. So it's enough to put some threat and some sweat on those little heroes that are trying to help out their buddies. Yeah, I, I like that. I've actually, my current Stormcast list is using Judicators with Purple Sun for that exact reason, being able to chip away at range with Purple yeah. Sun. I, I don't know personally if I would pay for six uh, like bow Kurnots myself, but being able to summon them on for free um mm -hmm. and I, i'm seeing a lot of people in the chat one they're talking about and i'll call out you know Haywo, um a, a, one of many people mentioning this in the chat that your kurnoth hunters in um bounty hunter you don't need the extra damage you're often killing out most galetian veterans anyway so mm -hmm. it's a bit of a redundant point at some points and then the other one is everyone's loving um absolutely um this type of list although you know we are hearing a lot more about you know dryads being summoned and i think you know dryads are, are possibly a good option if you need the bodies but you've got your three units of tree revs and if you're teleporting them around the board um maybe you do need that anchor point of dryads at the back mm. or a chat a chaff screen and you don't care about them because they're not galician veteran because they weren't battle line as they were summoned Oh, yeah, I think I still have twenty bring twenty dryads and even a branch, which just in case I needed like an extra caster or even make sure my opponent has the thought that I could throw on twenty dryads because my first GTA went to uh, opponent asked me what I had to summon. I was like three bows, and he knows knew to play around that. I was like, I'm not going to happen have that happen again. So I make sure to bring whatever it is that she can summon to keep my opponent guessing for at least one turn. Yeah, and look, the challenge is for new self and F players is you've got so many options with Alario. Like, I don't want to bring, like, literally an, an extra half an army with you, but having a good idea of what you need or where you might need it. Um, do you think um, the auto... So is the auto tree not a must with the tree, wrong, tree song revenant? Put the tree in front and mortal wound everything. It's pretty strong. So I still like having the auto tree just because it's another point that they can attack that I can attack through or I mean it's 12 inches up so I can deploy my um war song in a way that I know where they're going to put their tree down and then I can sling a purple sun through it so that 
So adding 12 inch range to your purple sun is terrifying. Yeah. So yeah, this is actually quite similar to the math mellow list that uh, he has. He uses bows instead of lancers. And I think he also has a hive because he likes to sling out a larial, but I do not trust a larial in combat, even with twos and twos. I'd much rather sling out lancers, even though they're going to be a little bit slower, but they are going to do a lot of damage when they hit vets because they are like seven attacks each. And rend four, rend three with purple song and tree song does a lot of damage. And I think that's the, the benefit of this, right? Is that we're not here to say that Zach's list is the one list. Everyone go no. copy Zach and go run this. You know, you do you run the list that you want to run. There are certain things that I want to run. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, even just I probably prefer swords over scythes when it comes to Kurnot Hunters. I think with the emergence of Nighthaunt, that is something that I probably be more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But you do your thing. And, and if you want to run Gossip Mid Archers, run them. If you want to run blocks of Dryads and buff the crap out of them, do it but uh, i do like both of your lists and probably the last two questions i want to ask you before i kind of go to work and log in is what have you learned by playing this book now so you you know a lot of people when we, we when we initially reviewed it you know we, we kind of looked at this book we did our best math, math hammering possible without a lot of practical experience on the table now that you've played it what have you learned about the book that maybe is not naturally picked up when you just read it for the first time um so one thing i'd say is um positioning is extremely important where you strike and fade two to set up your next attack trying to think about where your opponent is going to be uh another thing is that spite rider lancers in um bounty hunters can do 60 damage in one swing to gluttons which is pretty good poor old gluttons yeah <laughs> How, how how do you position well? Like, because it is a niche army. It is a scalpel type army where you just can't run up the board and smash your opponent and and out muscle them. You've got to be really strategic. Like when you, if you if you were if you were giving me advice, if I was a new Sylvaneth player, and I'm like, right, I've got these fragile tools. Where do I strike? Where do I pick my points of battle? How do I think about my faction? How what would you explain to me? You almost need to know a bit about how your opponent's army works and what they are attempting to do. Like Mike Mullis had 18 gluttons and that was the center of his list. And I knew that was what to attack and deal lots of damage into. Um, or knowing, just knowing where, where to strike and also knowing the movement characteristics of your enemies, making sure that either you're totally outside of their, just not even totally, just barely outside of their charge because they're not going to be able to double you. You've set it up so that they're not going to double. Or you set it up in such a way that you tempt them with like a 12-inch charge and make it so like, oh, look, oh, no, there's a 12-inch charge there. Do you want to move forward? And then they move forward, fail the charge, and then you go in and mop up. So it's just all about positioning and making sure that you mitigate your opponent's turn and take full advantage of stopping them from doing whatever it is that they want to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, this comes with experience. Um, 
I had a video I made like earlier on, like two years ago or a year ago. And I, and I think part of this, especially for newer players who, you know, it's easy for us to say, know what your opponent does and, you know, know mm-hmm. where their, their key units are. But for a newer player or someone who's not kind of tournament ready, they don't know where to strike. So you oh, might no, want you... to ask a couple of questions, right? Yeah. Like, you know, what's how the fast map? can you... Yeah, what's the fast? What's the max movement that you can see out of this unit? What's their threat range? Is a common thing you hear in competitive. Um, in some cases, you might just have to learn the hard way. I've definitely had to learn the hard way of, oh, that moves really that fast. Oh man, that does that much damage. Oh man, Sylvaneth are really this bad in combat. There, when I was playing in 2.0 and 1.0, I happily charged things in, expecting 20 dryads to kill five liberators and have them all die. It's not, if you're playing Sylvaneth, you have to under, respect that it's not a smashing models together army. It is something that you have to plan ahead about and think strategically. Yeah, like Strike and Fade Away is a perfect example. You know, if you are going to strike, what where do you move? And then what happens if you lose that double turn? You know, what happens if you can't strike and get a way out? Or, you know, are you able to, you know, almost elevate yourself to play 4D chess to go, well, I'm going to teleport here to claim this objective. And what can I do? There's, there's so much. And I think that's the lesson. And there's going to be people that are going to take this book and, and going to win some games. They're going to lose some games. Maybe mm-hmm. not familiar why they lost, but know that it's about learning. It's about practicing. It's about looking at this game. It's a little bit harder. I think is the, is the key here. And to ask, uh, uh, answer a question real quick, the main reason I picked the Lancers is they're just a lot of attacks, so that helps with consistency, especially also when galley vets, when now they're two damage each against something, like I killed 30 skinks just off of the Lancers. I didn't even need to use the bugs to go into them, and they were gone. And also their strike first on the charge, which is also very important. Being able to strike first is amazing, especially... So you can send in the bugs and Alarial and have them both go first and maybe delete something that would have been a bit too much for the Spite Riders to chew through. And as Millicorus has also mentioned, you know, uh, playing Alarial is like a whole new army, right? Like she is like 700, she's about 900 points almost in herself. And if you lose her, you really feel you feel it. You're like, I just lost almost half my army. Yes. And oh, like yeah. you gotta make sure you, you gotta make sure you summon those models on first. Otherwise it really does hurt. Oh, yeah, when I was first starting, I would forget to do that. And I I learned. Yeah, it, it, it yeah, that's that's the look my opponent would give me when I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot that she can summon stuff as I lift her up off the table. I can summon three hundred points for free. <laughs> All right, last question, and then I'm going to work. What's the key to success? If I'm going to be a new Sylvaneth player and I want to do well at my tournament scene, what's the, what's the feedback you'd give me, or how would you teach me to, to be a good Sylvaneth player? What do I need to know, other than this great video that you've kind of shared all your wisdom on? Um, I would respect that, like I said, it's not going to be you're charging in and just totally slaughtering your enemies like something you could see Beast Claw Raiders do. It is a more tactical army if you have to strike and fade you have to make sure your opponent does not run rampant through you and if they do run rampant through you you have to sit down and think about how did that happen what since you're going trying to go second as sylvaneth it is really tempting to take that double like turn one turn two but then end up getting punished getting doubled against turn four turn five so 
not relying on that double turn as tempting as it is because you're set up to go second is something that is definitely that I'm still learning about as of right now. And I think is a very crucial for Sylvaneth right now is not getting doubled against as well. I lied to you. I've got one more question and then I'm going to work. Cronspine. So you have the incarnate of Gur. As a Sylvaneth player, are you tempted? If so, why? If not, why not? I am not tempted because the times that I've played against it, I have been very unimpressed with the amount of damage it can it does. And that's kind of all it is for that. I know that GW really wants people to get the Cronspine. That's why all these endless spells are going nuts. Maybe we'll see it when they're, they finally release it in a standalone box, or maybe they never do that and we won't see many at all. Uh, but right now, I'm not cronspining it up just yet. We'll see. Maybe in the next, maybe the next um, season will be the incarnate season. So you're not tempted by because the incarnate has a couple of benefits. You know, you get a plus one to your spell cast, but if you bound it to a wizard, mm-hmm. you can't retreat. You, mm-hmm. if you issue all out attack by the bonded hero, there's like a, a bubble of all out attack to twelve inches around the cronspine. Um, there's a couple of other benefits, but they're the kind, and like obviously you mentioned the damage, right? So those incentives are not quite there for you to spend 400 odd points in your list. And you'd rather keep it inherently with what bugs, Kurnoth hunters, Durthu, those types of things. Uh, then for his ability to go off, you have to have multiple units locked in combat to get the value out of it. And you're swinging first with the cron spine to aura it all out. So it is definitely a list like the first one I said, where you're trying to create these hard points of Kurnoth hunters. It's a list that can be played, but I don't think it's playing into Sylvaneth's strengths of, of course, striking and fading. But I, it is a tempting proposition. But like I said, cron spine. Whenever I see it on the table, I ask my opponent how much it does. They're always slightly disappointed with it. It depends on what you're after. And look, you know, and the the chat agrees with you that it's probably breaks your synergy too much. 400 Mm -hmm. points is a lot of points and 400 points could be better spent within inherently in the book. But I know there's a lot of people in this chat, at least wondering, you know, as a competitive person, would you consider Cronspine? And in my Sons of Behemoth, for example, where I could get all of my Mega Gargans on plus one to hit, it's great. Oh, yeah. But for, but for you to keep everything in your army within 12 inches to, to receive the all-outs attacks, that's not your style. It's kind, of um, showing, it's kind of showing my hand about where I'm going to be. And it's not going to impact Lancers because they strike first. Like I said, it's just going to be on Kurnoth Hunters. and They're not very fast, and you're going to have seekers to back them up i can see a list being built around it but it's not great when it comes to just instead of running all sylvaneth yeah look and pros and cons either way i just wanted your thoughts and you know Mm -hmm. people in the chat you might tell me and disagree like no i found really good value in uh oaken brow when i get a bunch of tree lord ancients in combat or you know a couple of spirit of dirthus um or kurnoth hunters or getting plus one hit i don't know you tell me but um Zach, this has been incredible. I'm losing my voice. I've mm-hmm. got to go to work. Right. Um, if people want to chat to you, where can they find you um, to, to chat more about trees? Let's see. I'm on um, your Discord in the Sylvaneth chat. I'm like 
blind as a wombat one that is my name because i'm a very i was a very creative 12 year old i also just set up a twitter um and it's at the real tree zero zero being like the number zero message me and i'll put it in the video i don't think i've got i didn't know about your twitter but i'll put it in your i'll put it oh, in no, I, I just it's fine i just set it up yesterday i felt like this was the time to set it up nice so if you want to talk trees you can find um zach in my discord i'll also put the twitter handle below so you can follow zach and get all of his insights as he's going through and learning and picking up tricks as he goes through the book mm -hmm. but i really enjoyed this i think this is a good book I think you're in a good spot. I don't think you're in the most OP type of army. I don't think you're going to be automatically 5 and 0 in your next tournament. Um, at the same time, I don't think this is a trash book. You think you're in a really good spot. And this book is going to reward player skill. So it's going to take you a lot of practice, a lot of thinking, a lot of mapping out about deployment, about who does what and where and how and why. Um, and it's going to be a learning person's army. Zero being the number of conspines in the Sylvaneth list. True. All right. I, I think that I think that's a great way to wrap up. Hey, whoa, closing it out saying zero being the number of conspines in Sylvaneth list. I haven't seen one just yet. But Zach, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, everyone, for joining the live stream. I hope you uh, have found this valuable. You know what to do. Like, subscribe, uh, comment as well. I'd love to hear from you. How are you building your Sylvaneth? What's the sub-factions? What are the units you're picking? Do you what types of bugs are you building? Are you building the spite or are you building the lances? How on earth are you doing this all? But I'm going to work. See you folks. Thanks for sticking around until the end. I hope you found that video interesting and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would appreciate it if you hit like on the video as well as left me a comment. Let me know what your thoughts are in the comment section below. The conversation will continue over on Discord. So links down below in the episode description if you want to join the Discord and continue the Age of Sigmar conversation. I want to give a massive shout out as well to these absolute bloody legends, these champions who have continued to support me through Patreon or YouTube members. That is going directly into supporting the maintenance and the growth of this channel. So thank you very much, guys. Much appreciated. And until next time, roll more sixes.